about death is uncomfortable. We think if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Sadly, this isn't true. It's the only thing in life that we can be certain about. And because we don't talk about it, often we don't know what to do when we experience the death of a loved one. My name is Fiona Garvin and this is Deadly Serious Conversations. I'll be talking to a range of people who will share their knowledge and experience so we can learn how to make dying part of living. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Margot Collins. Margot is a pastoral care practitioner in the palliative care ward at St. Vincent's Public Hospital in Melbourne. Pastoral care is available to all people from all different religious backgrounds, cultures and beliefs. And this includes people who may not have any religious beliefs or affiliations. In this episode, Margot shares her experience of supporting and guiding those who are receiving palliative care and their families and loved ones. So good morning, Margot. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, and would you like to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I would. Um, thank you, Fiona. My name is Margot. I work in pastoral care at St Vincent's Hospital, the public hospital in Melbourne. And I work in the palliative care unit amongst other wards. And I became a pastoral carer, look, it would have been five years ago now. And the reason being, when my mum was dying, the pastoral carers were really lovely, really supportive for my mum, but I really remember how they were with me. And they weren't scared. I really noticed friends didn't want to talk about it or tried to cheer me up and say things like, oh, but your mum's old, she's sick and sort of trying to minimise. It's like, no, I'm sad, it's my mum. And the pastoral carers just listened to me. They heard me, they were there when I was crying, they were there just to hear my story. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to do this too. Oh, fabulous. And you did it. Mm, I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and- So what does palliative care actually mean? Um, The definition, I think, has changed quite recently. I'm not a doctor, so I can't really give the official definition probably. But um, I've noticed that the palliative care team can get involved in patients' care quite early. So if someone's diagnosed with cancer and they've got many years to live still, the palliative care team would get involved then and just help people and guide people through making decisions and whether you're on treatment or not treatment, things like that. But in the palliative care ward, in the hospital, it's people at end of life. Okay. The team can be involved in the early stages of someone's terminal yes. diagnosis. Um, but exactly. You should... Okay. Yeah, but in the ward, in the hospital, it's end of life. And I guess the definition of palliative care is it's less active treatment. So it's to keep people comfortable when they're dying. So it might be things like, oh, we won't try and force tablets down their throat because they can't swallow anymore and that's uncomfortable for people. Or we won't do blood tests or give them injections that they were having before because that, for what reason, they're going to die soon and it's just uncomfortable for them to be having those tests and procedures for no benefit really. Yeah, and I think that can be a challenge for families Families can think, oh, but you're not doing anything. You're not 
fixing the person. You're not helping them. But it's a different way of helping, I guess. It's not action, but it's people's dignity, people's comfort is the priority, recognising that they are going to be dying soon. So what's the point of you know, doing all those other tests and things? And that can be hard for some people to get their head around, you know, why aren't you helping my mum? Or is there anything more that you can do? And It can be really hard. And I notice also a real challenge can be if one family member says what you're saying, why aren't you doing more? And another family member is accepting of where their loved one's at and they understand that they're dying soon and doing extra things isn't helpful. So if families aren't on the same page, that can be a real challenge. Absolutely, can imagine. Margo, what does death in palliative care actually look like? What happens in the, in the hospital? I think people will maybe be a bit surprised, actually, because apart from being sad and, of course, you know, a really tough time for a person dying and the family and friends, it can also be an amazing time. It can be a time of healing where maybe some family members have been estranged from each other and people can put their differences aside and come together to be there for the loved one. And it can be a fun time. Often I'm with families and they're telling me funny stories about their loved one who's dying. All those stories families tell. It seems there's a real urgency to retell them at that time um, and tell someone outside the family. And that often is me in my role. So I'm with the families providing emotional support and yeah lots of funny stories of silly things that have happened over the years and I often think what on earth are the nurses out there in the other room thinking what are the other patients thinking we're laughing away and what's going on in there they're making you know jokes about someone dying it's not it's it's an honoring of the of the loved one who's dying and so yeah it's sad it's funny it's healing and I spoke about um it can bring families together if there's been discord and the opposite of course can happen too. Families can tear apart in you know when there's a lot of stress as there can be when someone's dying. So it looks like all those things um, but the actual dying part, palliative care doctors and nurses are highly trained in, in keeping people comfortable as we spoke about before and so the, the dying person is often sedated and that's always a balance keeping someone sedated and therefore not in pain and, and comfortable as opposed to alert and being able to talk and interact with their loved ones, but maybe with pain. So that's always a balance and something to be negotiated with the family and the patient. So toward, right towards the end of life, people are usually sedated. So they're not really waking up and talking yeah, usually. And, and do you encourage your families to continue talking to them or you know do you encourage them to allow them to rest or is it just you sort of see how things are or for anyone who's got someone you know what can they expect in those last few days obviously they may be sleeping a lot but is there a limit on numbers how many people can come and visit or well at our hospital there's no limit on how many people can come though that can become a bit overwhelming for some families and they might ask the nurses maybe to impose a bit of a limit because the family feels uncomfortable doing that themselves. But yeah, there's no limit. And people can stay, or one person can stay out of night if that's something they'd like to do. But yeah, visitors can come anytime. And I do encourage people to talk to their loved one, even though they may not be responding. And I often say, have you said, said everything you need to say? And they're like, oh, but you know, the person won't hear or they won't answer. It's like, 
that's okay. You saying it to them can be the healing part of it, not their response or lack of response. So I always encourage people to say everything they need to say. And I also encourage, there is a bit of a crowd, which often there is, as you've asked about, that does anyone need just time alone with the person who's dying? And because people might forget that there's a bit of a, you know, group and but some people don't feel comfortable saying what they need to say to the dying person in front of a crowd or they just want some quiet time with the loved one maybe not even saying anything but I always offer that to the family as an idea they could all just have some time alone if they want just the presence there after someone dies if there's a lot of people there there can be very overwhelming time so that period of time after someone passes away is there any anything that you encourage or anything that the hospital suggests happens or does the family get an opportunity to spend time with their loved one or how does that look margo um look, i agree it can be overwhelming and it often is even though everyone knows this is coming They've spent maybe days or weeks watching it happening slowly, but it can be a real shock and it can be overwhelmed because you can't prepare for it. Um, you just can't. <laughs> you know what's happening intellectually, but emotionally, how can you get ready for such a momentous thing? So it can be overwhelming and there can be a crowd there, but it might be the middle of the night and no one's there or one person sleeping overnight or no one's sleeping overnight. So at our hospital, we think it's really important that there's space and time for the family, loved ones, to be able to come in and spend some time with the person after they've died, if that's what they wish. And some people might be interstate, need to quickly fly in or they're in the country or, you know, not everyone's just around the corner. So we like to really be respectful of families and that everyone that needs to be there can come within reason I guess overseas not really something we can accommodate because that takes too long. So even if someone dies in the middle of the night you give them time to to come in and, and, and be with their loved one? Yes yes so there's no time limit on how long after the person dies that the family can be in the room with the loved one um, but people usually it varies of course but usually a couple of hours. Hospitals are busy and there's bed pressures and all these things in other parts of the hospital and turnover. But in palliative care, we are very, very mindful. There's no rush. If you don't want to come in after your loved one has died, which sometimes people don't, that's okay too. There's no rules around this. Whatever suits the family. Fabulous, yeah. If they need to come and spend some time with the person who's died, that's absolutely important that they get to do that. Lovely. And so after someone dies, is there any mm. sort of, does the hospital encourage any rituals? Is there anything particular that you encourage the family to do? Or it may not be the case, but I'm just wondering, is there anything might happen if, if they choose to, of course? Well, that's the key, I think, if they choose to. And I usually ask the families, I, I can't guess <laughs> what is healing and helpful for them. You can say, I'm a Buddhist, but that doesn't mean every Buddhist family wants chanting and not touching the body, which is you know, one of the traditional things that might happen. But in all religions, in all non-religions, people have different ways of doing things and ways of finding comfort and meaning in the death. So I don't, we, the hospital doesn't have a standard set of rituals. I certainly don't. And I ask the family what would be comforting for them. And usually it's the storytelling or 
whoever's there, the family members and me sometimes there too, just telling the family stories and honouring the person who's died. It's bringing them to life again, really, um, by telling the significant parts of their life. And it feels really healing, that, that time and space. And we, if the family wishes, though hopefully this has happened before the death, um, we in pastoral care can arrange for a religious person to come in, like a priest or imam or whatever. And that seems to be really healing for people too. Even people that aren't particularly religious often do ask for, say, the priest to come because that's all they, they can't do anything when someone's dying. They, often people feel they want to do something to help and that's one way they can help, get the priest to come and, and do an anointing, a healing of the sick, a blessing. Beautiful. And so how soon, and you may not know this answer, Margo, but how soon after someone dies are they encouraged to make contact with a funeral director? Do they have to make that decision straight away? Can they leave their loved one in your care um, and then come back to you? Or are they encouraged to, to do that beforehand? We strongly encourage families to think about funeral directors before the death happens. Not every family can even face having that conversation and we don't push people but we do really gently try and encourage people to at least think about it because it's very very challenging of course after someone's died to suddenly have to make key decisions when you're distressed grief-stricken so of course you're distressed and grief-stricken before the person dies as well but it's not as intense usually then so we really do encourage people to choose someone early in the piece we just ask people routinely it's not you know trying not to scare people saying your loved one's about to die this is what we ask everyone to think about and we usually recommend that someone like an uncle or a cousin or someone a little bit removed from the immediate immediate family take on that role because it's it's really challenging for the immediate people to be doing that and plus it's important for them to be at the bedside with their loved one not distracted or racing around doing other jobs so yeah, that's often what we suggest that someone else who's just not quite as emotionally involved can take on that role and hopefully know who the funeral director is that they want before the death occurs and if people don't know we what they want we might say have you been to a funeral before that you felt was run particularly well people say oh yes i went to so-and-so's funeral i'll choose that same um, organization that's same. That's a wonderful idea about suggesting to you know ask someone a little bit removed from the family to give them that job yeah. because often people want something to do they want to help and they see that role is very important and 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 it is it's very important. Yeah, absolutely. So people can contribute, yeah, which gives them a sense of purpose in a really <laughs> out of control situation where nothing, yeah. There's nothing you can do to fix it. That really helps some people have a job. Um, so not everyone goes down this path of choosing a funeral director beforehand, despite us gently encouraging that. So if that hasn't happened, that's okay. At our hospital, we have a morgue. Not all hospitals do, but ours does. So there's no pressure in that respect. There's no rush. If, if someone when someone dies, they can go to the morgue and the family can take as long as they need to decide on the funeral director. There's no pressure to do it quickly because you know, it's important people get it right. They've got to feel they've made the right decisions around this. Absolutely. 
not live with regret. I, I've heard of families who've, you know, been at the bedside after someone they've loved has passed away and they don't know what to do. So the first thing they do is turn to Google and just Google someone. But it is important that they find the right company to work with and, and that they don't feel rushed into making a decision that they may regret later. So it's a big decision and it's often one of, if not the last thing they can do for their loved one. And I notice people find a lot of comfort in, in inverted commas, getting that right. And, you know, I'm going to choose these people and have the funeral go this way because that's what mum would have wanted, for example. And that's comforting for people to know that, yeah, they're honouring their loved one's wishes. Absolutely. So, Margot, is there anything else that people you feel is important for people to know if they've got a loved one in palliative care? Um, yes, I I think so. Um, I've really noticed you know, it's very exhausting being by the bedside with a loved one who's dying and incredibly sad too, of course. And a lot of people say, you know, they, they go home at night to rest, they need to rest, and they're finding they're fielding phone calls and messages from concerned people wanting updates on what's going on with the person who's dying. And that can be really taxing because they're not only having to take all those calls, but they're dealing and managing with sort of the shock of the person hearing the news and having to do it over again with the next person and the next person. So I often recommend to people they find a person that's a little bit removed, a friend or um, a cousin or someone like that. So maybe they can be in charge of the communications or maybe setting up a, a Facebook group or WhatsApp group. So all the information can go out at once and it's not just having to repeat the same information over and over to different people. It's keeping people up to date, but not having it be a burden. Yeah, and it, it's perhaps a good idea for, for that person who's communicating to um, remind people, because sometimes we need a gentle reminder that they are trying to rest at various times so they don't have to respond to that text message. They've got an update. Uh, please don't feel like you need to respond to this. Yeah, just fielding that a little bit. I think that's a really good idea, Fiona. And being mindful that people need to rest at times that aren't usual rest times as well. Yeah, so people could be resting in the day and being in the hospital in the evening. So don't expect a response to your text message. It's too much. And another thing I'd like to talk about is expectations around visiting. There's no rules about what's right and what's wrong. It's an individual thing. How often you should visit, whether you should stay overnight, not stay overnight, whether after your loved one has died and you're not there, whether you should come in, um, after they've died or not come in after they've died. And people really struggle with that. They, I notice people have a set idea on what you should or shouldn't do and then feel guilty that they feel they can't, especially after the person's died. I can't face seeing mum dead. I don't want to remember her like that. That's okay. Some people find great comfort in coming afterwards and saying goodbye after the person's died. Some people don't and find it traumatising. and. It's really important that people feel and know that they've got to do what is right for them. And also in that acknowledge that what's right for one person may not be right for their sibling or their mum or their dad. Everyone will be doing it differently usually and really try to encourage people to have no judgment around what other people are doing. 
everyone does it their own way and that's okay. And all I try to suggest to people is in a year's time, would you look back and regret being, not being here more often or not coming, not sleeping here overnight? And people know the answer already. And they're usually very clear. No, I wouldn't regret it. I've already thought about this. It's not something I want and can do. That's a wonderful idea. Yeah. And and you're right. Everybody, you know, even in the same family, you know, everyone is coping with it in different ways. So what suits one person may not necessarily be the same for another person in the yes. same family. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, um, Margot, for sharing all of your lovely knowledge and, and wisdom. And I, I see you're drinking a cup of tea this morning like I am too. Are you a tea or a coffee drinker? Well, I'm not drinking a cup of tea. I'm actually drinking a cup of coffee, if you <laughs> drink it. Black, no sugar. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Hardcore. Hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a coffee drinker, so I don't. I know we're doing this early in the morning, so I don't have the need to have a strong cup of coffee in the morning. But I know a lot of people do. And I imagine in palliative care, there's a lot of tea and coffee drinking happening all day, every day with families sitting with their loved one do they have access to tea and coffee they do but it's hospital tea and coffee so (laughs) it's not really um, the best but nonetheless it always to me feels like a really nice gesture we can offer tea and coffee and some biscuits to the um, the visitors and people appreciate that gesture as bad as that coffee looks (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah still feels like a kind gesture nonetheless and even I imagine in palliative care it's not so much about the actual drink but it's the ritual around what happens drinking that tea or coffee you know the stories that are told and the the relaxed conversations around it so yeah wonderful it's true that's (laughs) true yes been a lot of relaxed conversations a lot of tears a lot of sadness around the cups of tea and coffee and that's what happens in palliative care Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing a coffee um, with me this morning and and sharing all of your knowledge. It's just been wonderful. So thank you, Margot. It's been lovely having you. Thanks, Fiona. It's been really nice talking with you too. Thank you. Thank you. 